0: let's turn together to Romans chapter 12 to begin with. Romans chapter 12. We are in a series of messages called Financial Freedom, learning what God has to say about finances and how we relate to finances. And we've already established that financial freedom has nothing to do with how much money you have or don't have. You could be fabulously wealthy and in financial bondage, you could be destitute and have financial freedom or vice versa. So it has nothing to do with how much money you have but it has everything to do with how much your money has you, really. And we've seen that true financial freedom is to be free from worry and anxiety over money. It is to be free from the love of money and materialism and covetousness. It is to be ready, willing, and able to do whatever God wants you to do or give when and however much and and whatever God wants you to give. That's true financial freedom. And then we saw in our first first session that that uh the first step the first key to stepping into financial freedom is to choose your master and choose your treasure jesus showed us in matthew chapter 6 in the sermon on the mount you cannot serve god in money You, you it's going to be one or the other if you love god you won't love money if you love money you won't love god it's one or the other and so you have to resolutely thoughtfully decide i'm not going to love money money will not be my God. I will not be a slave to money. I'm going to be a slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to serve him and love him. I'm going to measure my life, not by money and possessions, but by the Lord Jesus. Jesus is Lord. And then you resolutely decide my treasures are going to be in heaven. You don't want to lay up treasures on the earth. That's not even earthly treasures aren't treasures. You want to lay up treasures in heaven and so decide, my treasure's going to be in heaven. That's where I'm going to invest. That's where I want to focus. I want to lay up treasures in heaven. So that's where you begin with that decision. Choose your master, choose your treasure. And then last week, we saw that the first action step now is to tithe. So you put your money where your mouth is. Well, I'm not going to love money. I'm going to love Jesus. What does that look like? Well, you start tithing. I'm going to lay up treasures in heaven. What are you going to do about it? I'm going to start tithing. And so last week we talked about tithing and what it is and what it means and what it says. And we saw, you know, it says a lot. Tithing means a lot, it says a lot, and it does a lot. So we talked about that last Sunday. Well, today I want us to look at this subject, a paradigm shift. If we're going to have true financial freedom, we need a radical paradigm shift in our thinking with respect to money and possessions. Romans 12, Paul said this, Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship, and do not be conformed to this world. Don't be squeezed into this world's mold. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How do you get transformed? By the renewing of your mind. So don't be conformed to this world. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. So we need a radical transformation, a renewal of our mind. We need a paradigm shift when it comes to money and possessions if we ever hope to have financial freedom as we have defined it. Now, what are you talking about paradigm shift? What is a paradigm? A paradigm is a philosophical or a theoretical framework for thinking. It's, it's how you think. It's a mindset, a worldview. This is how you interpret events. It's how you understand the world around you. It's how you interpret life. That's your worldview. It's, it's, a, it's a paradigm. And it's based on your beliefs and values and assumptions and presuppositions and experiences. It all comes in. It's a paradigm. Let me show you what this looks like. When I was in high school some thieves broke into my high school building and vandalized the building and stole some stuff. A day or so later, I was talking to a deputy sheriff who had just missed catching these guys. He came in right behind them. He just missed them. And I said, wow, that was a close call, wasn't it? That's too close for comfort. And he looked at me, he says, no. If I'd been there a few minutes earlier, I could have caught them. You see, that's two different paradigms. I had a paradigm that says you run into a bunch of criminals doing criminal stuff and something bad could happen to you. You know, that's a good way to get hurt. His paradigm, he's a law enforcement officer. I want to catch the bad guys doing bad guy stuff and I want to lock them, you know, cuff them and stuff them. Two different paradigms, two different ways of interpreting the same events. 9/11, the planes hit the towers. Thousands of people came running out of those buildings and we saw the videos, people running down the streets of New York City running away from the smoke and the fire and the debris and the danger, running for their lives. At the exact same time, there were thousands of first responders who were running to the smoke, to the fire, to the danger. As people were running out of the buildings, firemen were running into the buildings. Two different paradigms. The civilian paradigm says get out alive, get away from danger, get away as fast as you can. The first responder paradigm says people will need help. And I'm going to go help him. I'm going to save lives even at the risk of my own. Two different paradigms. About a year after that, we started sending troops to Afghanistan, Operation Enduring Freedom. We had a guy in our church who had just retired from the Army. He had been in the Army for over 20 years, special forces guy. He had just retired just a few months before. And now, here the Army is going en masse to Afghanistan. And I, and I said to him, I said, wow, you dodged that bullet, didn't you? I mean, just a few months ago, you would have been going. You dodged that bullet. And he says, no, Brother Jeff, I'm sick over it. I'm tore up. I've spent my entire adult life training for this, and now I'm not going. So said, I want to go. I want to go. I want to serve my country. I want to fight. I want to be with my troops. I'm, it's killing me not to go. Two different paradigms. My paradigm says, I don't want to go to Afghanistan. I'd rather be at home on the couch, comfortable with my family. His paradigm is, I'm a soldier. I'm a warfighter. I've got a job to do. See, two different paradigms. Ways of thinking. The Bible shows us that lost people and saved people should have two different ways of thinking. We should interpret the world through two different paradigms. In fact, let's look at this. Let me show you in Philippians. Let's go to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. The way the believer thinks and the way the unbeliever thinks should be completely different. In Philippians 3, listen to what Paul says. In Philippians 3, in verse 7, He says, you know, whatever things, Philippians 3, 7, whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ and may be found in him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So that's just a snapshot of Paul's paradigm. That's how he thinks. My old life is just so much garbage. Everything is about Jesus. It's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Now move on down to verse 17. Brethren, join in following my example, (laughs) follow me, do like me, think like me, and, and observe those who walk according to the pattern you have in us. For many walk of whom I have told you, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their appetite, whose glory is in their shame, who set their minds on earthly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our humble state into conformity with the body of His glory by the exertion of the power that He has even to subject all things to Himself. See, there's two different ways of thinking. The unbeliever, he thinks, you know, his God is His appetite, His glory is in His shame, He sets His on earthly things. Two different ways of thinking. I put this on your outline. Let's just flesh this out. For the unbeliever, his... his his default paradigm, his way of thinking, the natural man thinks, you know, it's all about me. <laughs> it's all about me. I want to live for myself. This, it's me, 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 me. It's all about me. Self, selfishness, that's the default. That's the unregenerate mind. Whereas the believer's paradigm, I live for Jesus. I, 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 for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain Paul will say earlier in this letter Philippians 1 for to me to live is Christ in Galatians 2.20 he says I'm crucified with Christ it's no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me in the life I live in the flesh I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me so no it's not about me it's about Jesus the unbeliever he thinks I'm going to live for this world I focus on earthly things that's what Paul just said in Philippians 3 his god is his appetite he focuses on earthly things his world this is his world and what this world offers that's his focus that's how he thinks now for the believer for the child of god i want to focus on eternal things heavenly things that's what paul saying in colossians 3 set your mind on things above not on the things on the earth set your mind on things above where christ is seated at the right hand of god your life is hidden with christ in god don't set your mind on the things below No, I'm going to live for eternity, heavenly treasures. The earthly man or the unbeliever, he he says, I'm in control. That's his mindset. I'm in control. And to the degree I can, I'm going to be comfortable. (laughs) I'm in control. I'm the master of my fate. I'm the captain of my destiny. This is my life, and I'm going to be comfortable. The, The believer, though, the Christian says, you know, I'm not in control. I believe in the one who's in control. I don't have to be in control. I'm going to walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. I realize I'm not in control, but I put my faith in the one who is in control. I walk by faith and not by sight. And then the unbeliever says, you know what? It's mine. It's mine. Mine, mine, mine. Go get your own. Keep your hands off mine. It's mine. The believer says, no, it's his. It's all his. And I'm just a steward. I'm just managing what belongs to someone else. But I'm not the owner. The unbeliever says, I want more. That's the, that's the unregenerate mind. It is never enough. Nothing is enough. The world is not enough. I need more, 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 more. The believer learns to be content. I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's the believer's mindset. See, two different paradigms. Two very different ways of thinking about life and everything in life. We need a whole different paradigm when it comes to money and possessions as well. We need a paradigm shift. I've read a lot of books over the years on financial management, Christian financial management, things like that. And I've been to the seminars and the conferences and I've seen the videos and you've seen some of those too. Here's what I have noticed. With very few exceptions, Christian financial counseling is pretty much the same as non-Christian financial counseling, except the Christian might say something about tithing. Other than that, nine times out of ten, they'll tell you the same thing. Saved or unsaved, they'll tell you the same thing. You ought to make as much money as you can, save as much as you can, and uh, minimize your debts, invest, diversify your investments. And then enjoy what you have. They almost all say the same thing. Except the Christian, he might say, put some giving in your budget. Give to the Lord's work, or give to your church, or to charity, or you might tithe. If he's really crazy, he might say tithe. But other than that, they they say the same thing. And the consensus would seem to be, even in the Christian world, well, as long as you get your money honestly, and pay your bills, and tithe, God doesn't care what you do with the rest of it. I mean, as long as you don't spend it on something sinful. But God doesn't care what you do with the rest of it. That's not a biblical paradigm. That's not godly advice. No, we need a radical paradigm shift. If we're going to have financial freedom, we need to think differently. We have been conformed to this world. We need to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. We need a whole different mindset, a biblical money mindset for money and finances if we're ever going to have financial freedom so this morning i want to give you four foundational truths you you can't escape these if you want to have a biblical paradigm for money and possessions if you want to have financial freedom you've got to get these these four principles into the core of your being Now i'm going to tell you right now i'm not going to tell you anything you haven't already heard before i'm not going to say anything new or revelatory but this needs to get in in us You've heard it, but it needs to get in us, and we need to be transformed by it. Here's the first truth. So here's on your line. Here's the first truth. Absolutely foundational. You have to get this into your heart and mind. God is the sovereign owner. It starts there. You have to understand. God is the sovereign owner. Now, I've given you a whole list of scriptures there. We're not going to read them all for time, but... Listen to Deuteronomy 10, 14. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the highest heavens, the earth, and all that is in it. That covers about everything. (laughs) Heaven, highest heavens, the earth, and all that is in it. Psalm 24, 1. The earth is the Lord's and all it contains, the world and those who dwell in it. We touched on this last week. God is the owner. He is the owner by right of creation. He created it all, and so it all belongs to Him. You make it, it's yours. Well, He made it, it's His. And if you are a believer, you are twice His, because you've been bought with a price. You've been redeemed with the precious blood of the Lamb. You belong to Him. You're not your own. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Your body, your soul, your spirit, your life. All of it. You belong to him, lock, stock, and barrel. If you're a Christian, even if you're not a Christian, well, you belong to him because he made you. If you are a Christian, you belong to him because he made you and he saved you. He redeemed you. You belong to him. God is the owner. What does that mean? That means he can give whatever he wants to whomever he wants to give it. He can entrust whatever he wants to entrust to whomever he wants to entrust it. He can direct it however he wants to direct it. He can demand whatever he wants to demand. He can take away whatever he wants to take away and when he wants to take it away. It's all his. If that will get into your heart, mind, and soul, that'll help you. You know, here's where we could take a lesson from our government. Our government knows all too well the freedom of spending other people's money. Right? I mean, they don't care. It's not their money. It's other people's money. There's a lot of freedom when it's not your money. It's someone else's. Oh, they're free with it. It's not theirs. This will help you. When you understand, you know what? It's not my money. It's not mine to hoard. It's not mine to protect. It's not mine to preserve. It's just, it's mine to manage. (laughs) It actually belongs to him. And then when God says, I want you to give toward this. Oh, okay. It's not mine. It's his. I'm just managing it. And the owner said, Move it over here. I'm just doing what the owner said. Boy, there's a lot of freedom when you understand it belongs to someone else. It's not mine. I don't have to keep it, preserve it, hang on to it for dear life. It's not mine. It's his. God is the owner. Number two, absolutely foundational principle. biblical truth you have to get in your heart, mind, and soul. I am an accountable steward. I am an accountable steward. This is fundamental. Go with me to Matthew 25. Matthew chapter 25. Familiar passage, familiar parables. We're not going to read it all for sake of time. Matthew 25, he says, you know what? The kingdom of heaven is like this. And he has the parable of the ten virgins. And then in verse 14, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like this. A man about to go out on a journey, he called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, each according to his own ability. And he went on his journey. Sound familiar? You've heard this before. The parable of the talents. So one guy had the five talents, one guy has two, one guy has one, each according to his ability. The master comes back in verse 19. The master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. Remember, it's not their money, it's the the master's money. They're just managing it for the master in the master's absence. Now there's an accounting. The one who would received the five talents came up, brought five more talents, said, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Ditto, the guy with the two talents. Same story, same outcome, same commendation. Then verse 24, the one who had received the one talent came up, said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. I was afraid, went away and hid your talent in the ground, so you have what is yours. His master answered and said to him, You wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reaped where I did not sow, gather where I scattered no seed. You ought to put my money in the bank, and on arrival I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given. He will have an abundance from the one who does not have. Even what he does have shall be taken away. And then it goes on to say, when the Son of Man comes, in verse 31, with all his angels, he'll sit on his glorious throne. The nations will be gathered before him. He'll separate them from another like a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He'll put the sheep on one side, the goats on the other. And then he'll say, come, inherit the kingdom of my Father, the kingdom prepared for you. He says, I was hungry. You gave me something to eat. I was thirsty. You gave me something to drink. I was a stranger. You invited me in. Sound familiar? He goes all through this this list of ministry. You did this and this and this. Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or naked? Or when did we visit you? in as much as you did it to the least of these, you did it to me. And then he turns to the goats on the other side and he says, you didn't do these things to the least of these. You didn't do it to me. Now, the punchline of those parables, and again, we just skimmed them and I summarized them for sake of time. The punchline is this. We are the servants. We are the stewards and we are accountable. There is coming a day of accounting, a day of reckoning. Now, when you hear the word steward or stewardship, what comes to mind? Tithing, (laughs) raising money for the church, I mean, we have stewardship sermons, we have stewardship campaigns, we have stewardship emphases, we have stewardship consultants, all stewardship. And it's all about raising money for the church or teaching tithing and all that. That's, that's what we've reduced stewardship to. But that's, that's a tiny little bit of stewardship. In fact, on your outline, here we go. Tithing is a small part of giving. Now, we talked about tithing last week. I'm not going to re-preach all that. But tithing, bringing God's tithe, that tenth tenth of your earnings into God's house, that's a small part of giving. You don't just tithe and say, well, I'm done. That's all my giving. No, that's that's just a small part of giving. Giving is a small part of stewardship. It's a part of stewardship, but it's a small part of stewardship. No, stewardship is understanding that God is owner and I am a steward, and that has implications for every part of life. Not just money, not just tithing, not just giving. Every aspect of life, God is the owner, I'm a steward, and I will give an account to the owner for what I did with what he gave to me. That's not just money, that's possessions. That is your education, your marriage, your family, your children, your education, your jobs, your career, um, witnessing opportunities, discipleship opportunities, the freedoms that we enjoy, I mean... It's everything, everything that God has entrusted to your management. One day you're going to answer to the owner. You're not responsible for what I'm managing. I'm not responsible for what you're managing. But we're both going to be accountable to the owner. Make no mistake. I am an accountable steward. Let me show you. Here's your outline. Christians will be judged for the works. Here's the implications of this. Christians will be judged for their works. Hebrews 9, 27, it is appointed unto man once to die, and after this, judgment. Jesus Christ is the righteous judge who will judge the living and the dead. Everybody is going to stand before Judge Jesus. Now, lost people, those who step into eternity without Jesus Christ, without the new birth, lost people will face Jesus at what the Bible calls the great white throne, judgment. You read about that in Revelation 20. It's terrifying. It says that the dead will be brought before Jesus. The books will be opened and they will be judged according to what is written in the books. The record of their lives. The lost, the unsaved, will be judged in their sins and by their sins and for their sins and then be cast into a lake of fire, which is the second death, the lake of fire. That's Revelation chapter 20. That's a whole other sermon for a whole other day. Believers also will face judgment, but not that one. Believers will face Judge Jesus at the judgment seat of Christ. And at the judgment seat of Christ, we will not be judged for our sins. Our sins have already been judged on the cross. He bore our sins in His body on the tree. Our sins have already been judged. But we will be judged for our works as believers. Let me show you. Let's go to Romans chapter 14. Romans 14. Romans 14 and verse 10. Why do you judge your brother? Why do you regard your brother with contempt? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. It is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me and every tongue shall give praise to God. So then each one of us will give an account of himself to God. Each one of us. 2 Corinthians 5.10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may be recompensed for his deeds in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. That's talking about believers. So we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll be judged for what we've done in the body, whether good or bad. We'll be judged for our works. Our works will be judged. Now, let me be absolutely clear. Make sure you understand this. You are not saved by your works. You know that, right? I mean, this. I mean, this is. you should know this. You're not saved by works. Oh, no. You're saved by grace through faith. You're saved by God's grace and God's mercy. Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. He paid the penalty for your sins. You believe that. You repent from your sin and selfishness, you turn away from that. You turn to Jesus Christ in faith. You trust his death to atone for your sins. You trust his resurrection to give you life. You trust him to save your soul. You put your faith and trust in Jesus, receiving by faith his gift of eternal life. You're saved by grace through faith, not, not of works. Okay, So you can't be saved by works. That'll never happen. You can't earn it. You'll never deserve it. You're saved by grace through faith. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. However, the very next verse says, (laughs) if you've been saved by grace through faith, you've been saved for good works, saved unto good works. Saved with the result that you're going to start doing good works in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ because of the Lord Jesus. Now, one day, if you're a Christian, you're going to stand before Jesus and give an account of your works. He's going to judge your life. I saved you from death and hell. What did you do with the life that I saved? I gave you so much money through your income or however else you got it. What did you do with the money that I put in your care? I gave you freedom. You lived in the greatest country in the world. You had freedom of religion. You had freedom to do this, the freedom of speech. What did you do with all that freedom that you had that other people did not have? I gave you Bibles. I mean, you got pink Bibles, red Bibles, striped Bibles, plaid Bibles. you got every kind of Bible in the world. What did you do with all those Bibles? Did you read any of them at all? <laughs> what did you do with the Word of God that I put in your hand? We're stewards of the Gospel. What did you do with the Gospel? Did you tell anybody about Jesus Christ? What did you do with the education that you had, the jobs that I gave you, the wife or the husband I gave you, the children I gave you? What did you do with all that I gave you, the opportunities, the church you had? What did you do? What did you do? I gave you 40 years, 50 years, 60 years to serve me. How did you serve me? You will answer to the Lord. Now, the Bible says that there are going to be rewards for faithful service, a loss of rewards for unfaithful servants. It is required of stewards to be found faithful. That's what the Bible says. And so there are crowns in heaven. There are rewards in heaven. This is what Jesus was talking about. Get rich toward God. Lay up treasures in heaven. That's what he's talking about. Serve him now laying up those rewards, those treasures in heaven. So the judgment seat of Christ, that judgment day, that's not to decide if you're going to heaven. No, if you're saved, that's already been decided. When you say yes to Jesus Christ, you're born into the family of God. Your name is written in the Lamb's book of life. That's been decided. Heaven is your home. What will be decided on judgment day, judgment seat of Christ day for believers is, what are you going to do in heaven and what are you going to have in heaven? You know, heaven won't be the same for everybody. Do you know that? Some are serving the Lord more faithfully than others now. Some will have more rewards in heaven than others will have. The Bible says, you know, for that day, it will be a day of reward for some. Well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I'm going to put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Now, for the Lord to say that to you, you have to be a good and faithful servant. For others, it will be a day of loss. Paul says they'll suffer loss. Oh, saved, yes, so as by fire. And you barely got in. And you have nothing to show for the life that he redeemed. So here's the implication. God is the owner. I'm I'm a steward. I'm accountable to God. And right now, what I'm doing with what I have is determining what I will do and what I will have in eternity. What you will do and what you will have in eternity. I mean, that's a whole other series of sermons. But what you do and what you'll have in eternity is being decided right now, in part, by what you do with your money and possessions, as well as your time and abilities and spiritual gifts and all the rest. So that's what that judgment day is going to look like. What will you have in heaven? What will you do in heaven? What rewards? What riches? What investments? What will you have in heaven? What's going to be revealed on that day? Well, you're deciding that right now. Every dollar that you spend on junk is a dollar that won't be waiting on you in heaven. And we all spend money on junk. That's just part of living in this world. I mean, we all buy junk. It's landfill fodder. (laughs) All of it. But every dollar you spent on that stuff that's going to end up in a landfill anyway, there's no heavenly reward for that. Every hour you wasted on something that was just silly, watching television, scrolling Facebook, and we all do that. We all just need idle time. You've got to de- you know, decompress. I know that. But every hour you spent wasting it on that kind of stuff, that's an hour you didn't spend laying up in heaven. On the other hand, every hour you spent telling someone about Jesus and teaching the Word of God and making disciples and serving the Lord and doing ministry, that has eternal ramifications. There will be an eternal payout for that later. So what you do with time and money and possessions right now will have eternal implications. We are stewards. Jesus said in Revelation 22, I'm coming quickly. My reward is with me to render to every man according to what he has done. I am accountable. Here's your outline. I am accountable for money and ministry. It's not just money, but ministry as well. We are accountable for money and ministry. We're going to give an answer. Bible says, from everyone who has been given much shall much be required. So, this will help you. We've got to get this in our brain. Now, you've heard this before. <laughs> you've heard it before. Not new information, but we haven't been transformed by it. We've got to get it in. It's got to get in our hearts and get in our minds. It's got to get into the cellular membranes of our bodies. God is the owner. I'm a steward, and I'm going to answer to the owner one day. Here's the third fundamental principle, this truth. You have to get into your heart and mind and soul. This world is not my home. I'm a pilgrim. This world is not our home. Just listen. Philippians 3.20, our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This world's not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. Heaven is our home. John 17.6, in the high priestly prayer, Jesus was praying about his disciples. They're not of the world, even as I am not of the world. We're in the world, but we're not of the world. We've been called out of the world. 1 Peter 1.17, If you address His Father, the one who impartially judges according to each man's work, conduct yourselves in fear during the time of your stay upon the earth. So if you call God Father, He's the one who will judge everyone according to what He has done. If you call Him Father, then conduct yourselves in fear during your time of, the, of your stay on the earth. I love that, your stay on the earth. Have you ever checked in a motel and they said, enjoy your stay? <laughs> Guess what? This is your stay. We're just passing through. You might get 30, 40, 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years. I wouldn't count on 100. But you, however long the Lord gives you, this is your stay. Enjoy your stay. But you're not going to stay here long. This isn't home. We're just passing through. 1 Peter 2.11 I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Aliens, strangers, pilgrims, sojourners. That's how the Bible describes us in this world. This world's not our home we're passing through. Heaven is our home. Now, here's the thing about pilgrims. Pilgrims travel light. <laughs> pilgrims travel light. I'm just passing through. You check into a motel, you don't, you don't bounce on the bed and say, man, this bed's too soft, I'm going to go get me a new mattress. You don't do that. It's a motel. You don't say, I don't like this dresser. I'm going to go get me a new dresser. I'm going to remodel. I'm going to repaint the walls. I'm going to redecorate. No. It's a motel room. You're going to stay there a night or two or three, maybe a week, but you're just going to stay. That's not home. You're just enjoying your stay and then you're going to leave. Folks, what is your life but a vapor that appears for a little while and fades away? Enjoy your stay, but you're not going to stay here long. Heaven, heaven, that's the long tomorrow. Eternity is the long tomorrow. And if you know Jesus Christ, heaven is your home. Stop trying to make this world heaven. That's where we get in trouble. Trying to, we want heaven on earth. We're trying so hard to make this heaven. And this ain't heaven. We're passing through. This is a motel room. Heaven is heaven. And then fourthly, Financial decisions are spiritual decisions. We've got to hurry. Financial decisions are spiritual decisions. Four truths we've got to get into our heart, mind, and souls for a paradigm shift. If we're going to have spiritual freedom, financial freedom, understand financial decisions are spiritual decisions. Well, preacher, you just take care of the spiritual stuff, and we businessmen will take care of the business. Spiritual spiritual. Business is business. Oh, no, sir. It's all spiritual. That's true at church and it's true in your house as well. Because remember, whose, whose money was it? <laughs> it's God's money. Guess what? That's spiritual now. It's not your money. It's, it's all spiritual. You belong to Him. Lock, stock, and barrel. And what you do with money and possessions, how you see it, what you think about it, how you treat it, how you, how you view money and possessions, it is inextricably tied to your spiritual life. In fact, your attitude toward money and possessions will reveal your spiritual condition. It's a window into the soul. I'll show you an example. In Luke chapter 3, turn with me real quick. We've got to hurry. Luke chapter 3. John the Baptist is preaching. He's telling people, you better repent. <laughs> repent and turn to God. In verse 8. Bear fruits in keeping with repentance. So you need to repent, turn to God, seek God, and then act like it. Act like somebody who has repented and seeking the Lord. And the people who are there are saying, well, what does that look like? What does that mean? And verse 10, he says, the crowds were questioning, what shall we do? And he said, the man who has two tunics is to share with him who has none, and he who has food to do likewise. So if I've repented and I'm seeking God, I want to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. What does that mean? The way you handle money and possessions. You share. You have the resources to to share. You share. Some tax collectors were there. They wanted to be baptized. They said, what should we do? He said to them, collect no more than what you've been ordered to. Again, that's money. How you get money. How you treat people with respect to money. You don't take advantage of people. This is what they do for a living. You don't take advantage. You don't exploit people. Some soldiers were questioning him. What about us? What shall we do? He said to them, Do not take money from anyone by force or accuse anyone falsely, and be content with your wages. So what is what are some of the fruits in keeping with repentance? How do you know what repentance looks like? Well, according to this, it it boils down to money and possessions. Your attitude, how you handle money and possessions. What are you doing with them? Wow. It's a window. It's a window to the soul. Move over to chapter 19. Luke chapter 19. Jesus' encounter with Zacchaeus. Y'all remember him? He was a wee little man. A wee little man was he. (laughs) Zacchaeus climbs a tree, you know, wants to see Jesus. Zacchaeus, get down. We're going to go to your house today. In Zacchaeus 19.8, or Zacchaeus 19.8, Luke 19.8, Luke 19.8. I'm still going to find Zacchaeus. Luke 19.8, Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, that's what he did for a living, if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I'll give back four times as much. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house. Salvation has come to this house. How do you know? he get baptized. He joined the church. he starts speaking in tongues. How do you know? His attitude toward money. I'm going to give half of what I have to the poor. And if I've cheated anybody, again, that's what he does for a living. If I've cheated anybody, I'll make fourfold restitution. Wow, that boy saved. Salvation came to this guy's house. On the opposite, Matthew chapter 19, Jesus encounters the rich young ruler. rich young ruler comes up to the Lord. Uh, Lord, what, what do I have to do to have eternal life? Keep the commandments. Oh, yeah, I got that done. Well, there's one more thing you need to do. You ought to sell all you have, give to the poor, follow me, and you have riches in heaven. And The man bowed his head and walked away, sorrowful, because he was very rich. Remember what Jesus told us two weeks ago? You can't love God and love money at the same time It's one or the other. You'll choose one, you'll unchoose the other. This guy chose money. He wanted eternal life, but he wanted his money more. He liked Jesus, but he loved money. And he walked away sorrowful, for he was very rich. Oh, you see? It's a window to the soul. And then in Acts chapter 4, we read a couple of weeks ago, talking about the early church and the apostles, and great grace was upon them all. Acts chapter 4, great grace was upon them all. What does that look like? What does it look like when great grace is upon them all? People who had assets were liquidating their assets and they were distributing it to the, to the body. And so, so much so that nobody in the church had any needs. Wow. What does grace look like? A change in attitude toward money and possessions. Business is business. Church is church. You know, spiritual, that's prayer and God and worship. Money's, money's business. No, folks, it's all Spiritual. Financial decisions are spiritual decisions. It's all related because it's God's money. Well, we have to stop. Money is tied to the heart. That's the bottom line. What difference would it make in your life if you took what Jesus said seriously? If we listen to the Word of God, just what we've heard this morning, what difference would it make if you really believed and took it seriously? I tend to agree with A.R. Fagan, who said, you know, we don't don't really take this stuff seriously. Because if you look around, most of us, we're not laying up treasures in heaven. We're laying up treasures on the earth. We don't even think about heaven unless somebody dies, and then there's a bunch of sweet by-and-by funeral talk when somebody dies. But we're so focused on laying up treasures on the earth, we don't think about heaven. Oh, no. You want to have financial freedom, freedom from worry and anxiety over money, freedom from materialism, the love of money, covetousness, a freedom to do whatever God wants you to do, to give what, when, and however much He wants you to give. If you want to have that freedom, and the Son sets you free, you shall be free indeed. That kind of freedom, you got to know. you got to know it and know it. God is the owner. I'm not the owner. I'm a steward. I'm just managing what belongs to Him, and one day I want to answer to Him. And what I'm doing with money and possessions and time and all the rest of it right now, it's going to determine what I do and what I have in heaven as a follower of Christ. Oh, I need to know that. I also need to remember this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Enjoy your stay. It's going to be short. (laughs) It flies by. Enjoy your stay, but this isn't home. Stop trying to make this world heaven. It's not. And then understand your financial decisions are spiritual decisions. It's all His. It all belongs to Him. And it all comes back to Him. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, God, we thank You for Your Word. Lord, we confess we all struggle with this, every last one of us, because we need money, we use money, we hold money, we spend money. It's, it's right here where we live. And Lord, these are modern problems that are ancient problems. Nothing has changed. Man hasn't changed one bit. Lord, we struggle with this and we want to live for this world when we know we ought to be living for eternity. And Lord, we want to hold on to what we think is ours, but when it's not even ours. We want to lay up treasures that aren't even treasures. Lord, we, we all have this gravitational pull on us all the time. Lord, help us to have this fundamental paradigm shift that we think differently, that we are transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we would begin to see money and possessions and really the rest of life in a whole new light. Grant us this paradigm shift. Help us to think biblically about these things. God, I pray for the one who's never been saved. Help them to hear and know they need Jesus Christ. There is a judgment day coming. Lord, bring them to the cross even now. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.